0: Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady
1: Rays has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Today's guest is currently playing for UCLA. He was named Off the Block's All-Freshman Team. He is a provincial and national champion for both indoor and beach volleyball. He won the Canada Summer Games with Team Ontario, and he's representing Canada on our youth national team. Please welcome to the show, Cole Kachansky. Cole, thanks for doing this.
0: Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, first of all, uh, as I mentioned before the show, I need to do a quick apology, because when you and your brothers were coming through the OVA Beach Tour and even doing some live stream stuff for Can-Am, I've been calling you Ketrasinski your whole life, and it's nice to finally get the record of uh, how to properly say your last name.
0: No worries. I think um, think the only time people started saying it right was uh, this year when I actually had to record it and then get it sent to uh, announcers so they would... uh They would finally say
1: it. Yeah, credit to UCLA for doing that on your roster website. I think more teams should do that because there was a few that that caught me off guard. Yours being the most specific, I was like, wow, I've been saying it wrong since I think you were 13 or 14 playing OVA stuff. So,
0: Yeah, no, it's really nice. Especially for a lot of guys on our team. A lot of guys have uh,
1: hard to pronounce names. For sure. So to get you started, obviously... You and your brothers are pretty famous around the Ontario circuit, and I imagine a lot of people in the Volleyball Canada circuit know as well that your dad's an Olympian, so with you guys growing up so close in age, with obviously you having a twin and an older brother, was volleyball always the sport for you guys, or were you guys playing everything, and this was the one that uh, one of you got hooked on, all of you got hooked on, like how did this happen for you and your family?
0: Um, So for volleyball, it wasn't always sort of our sport. We actually obviously started playing hockey, it's kind of a Canadian thing. So we played hockey for a couple of years and we we're all playing rep. Um, but then one year, our mom's boyfriend was coaching a team. And he was like, hey, why don't you guys try out? Because we had been playing beach and stuff sort of just for fun, um, like with each other and with our dad. So we went to this team's tryout and we all made the team. We weren't very good. It was sort of our first time actually like playing, playing. But that's how we started. We all started on the same team in 14U. Um, and we got to practice all together and we got to sort of train together. So after that point, I'd say we shift away from hockey. I was the first to sort of quit because I was playing as a goalie and I didn't really, I didn't really love it as much. And then when volleyball came along, I was like, yeah, it's sort of what I wanted to do. So slowly we all stopped playing hockey and just wanted to focus on volleyball.
1: And was there a point where you decided, like, obviously you loved it. Was there a point that you started taking it a little bit more seriously and then, I think you played Ontario summer games on the beach. You've been involved in the indoor stuff. Like, When did you start looking not only outside of like school and club ball, but also doing some high-performance stuff?
0: It was after my 14-year year that I first um, tried out for Team Ontario. Uh, I remember it was it was two years up. It was a 16-year Team Ontario, but me and my brother Xander, we both wanted to try out, uh, and we both uh, ended up making it. They had two teams that year, and we were both on sort of like the the B team, but that was sort of our first experience with like high performance volleyball. Funny enough, the summer before that, somehow our dad convinced um, me, Xander and Trent to all go to this uh, region five tryout. All we knew about it was that it was a, uh, a region five tryout. We're trying out for some sort of team and we thought it'd be fun. When we got there, what our dad hadn't told us is that it was three years up. (laughs) Um, So we showed up to this region five tryout. I was 13U, Xander uh, was 14U. We had been playing for, I think this was our second year playing. And we saw guys like Tariq, Shawan, all these like really good guys who were in like 16U, 17U, and we sort of got taken aback. So that was technically our first high-performance trial, but that wasn't... Uh, wasn't anything to sort of be proud about <laughs>
1: and, and at what point did you start looking at post-secondary because obviously with you playing on our youth national team i believe they play in the us hp events but uh your club i think also pacman they were no stranger to going to, to the us a couple times a season so were you chasing them were they approaching you at what point was like the ncaa an option or just university in general going to be an option
0: i don't know exactly when i started thinking about it i think it was when i was playing I was playing in an 18 u tournament with Xander. He was playing um, a year up, and I was playing two years up, and it was um, we were being coached by Matt Harris. We decided to go down to this tournament in Anaheim. It's like the Anaheim uh, holiday classic, I believe, something other. Um, okay. And we decided to go to that tournament. And since we were a Canadian team, Danan, or most people call him as Kofi, he decided to come down to the tournament and like, watch and like check it out. So we went down there, and his coach was at the tournament. Well, technically my coach now. Um, <laughs> but they were, like, scouting at the tournament. Um, and I believe he, he like, told the coach that he should come watch our team because we sort of hadn't played any other U.S. tournaments before, and we were a bit unknown. So he ended up watching one of our games. Um, and we had actually a really good game against um, one of the really tough U.S. teams. And then he started talking to me and Xander, but I was – too young at the point so they couldn't technically talk to me so Xander went on these tours um, of a couple schools while we were down there because we decided to stay for a couple extra days uh, and I sort of just tagged along and sort of watched while he was getting the tours because I was still too young and NCAA has tons of rules on like when you're allowed to talk to athletes so that was I guess when I first started looking at schools and when I first got to sort of experience UCLA.
1: Yeah, just to pull on a point you just brought up there before we get to recruiting, you played up what I think was probably your whole career, and you mentioned you played up like two years jump there. How did you handle that, like even just emotionally and mentally? Because I think what what 18-year-olds are talking about is sometimes different than what 15 and 16-year-olds are talking about on like a social level, right? So obviously you were skilled enough to be there, but what what were some of the things you did maybe off the court that you could still feel a part of the team and not just like the young guy with uh, all the older guys on the squad?
0: Mm-hmm. um at first at first it was pretty tough because i had played well i had played up sort of my whole life like when i started off i was playing up two years because they didn't have a team young enough um so i'd always sort of played up but the biggest change was when i switched clubs because i used to play for this more toronto club called pvb and then after my 14 year i switched to Man playing 17u so i think that was sort of the biggest change because Obviously, I had been with the, the guys I was playing with before for many, many years, um, and then when I switched, it was sort of like they were much older, and I didn't know most of the guys very well. But I sort of just started off like not saying much, and then got included in conversations, and it wasn't it wasn't too bad because I had been used to playing with like my older brother and guys older than that, so it wasn't it wasn't too bad in that stance. It was just sort of the actual volleyball of it, it took a couple months to get used to people hitting way way harder than they did in 14
1: u <laughs> <laughs> and how did you deal with maybe some of the off-court distractions because i think it, it really hit in like shawan and Dana and tarik's age where social media was becoming bigger and like people were starting to like follow certain players where not to over dramatize this for you but i feel like you're an athlete that a lot of people know who you are and you might not necessarily know who they are right so with all these people who are maybe talking about you or there, there's certain stories floating around were you aware of this or how did you decide to, to manage it? Or were you just kind of focused on volleyball and that was enough for you?
0: There was sort of, it's, I forget what the word was for it. I think it was like volley fame or something like that. <laughs> I never really had it as bad as Shwan and Tree. Um They sort of blew up. Like they were getting popular, um, not just in Canada, but like in the States and stuff and getting reposted by all these um, volleyball pages. I didn't have that as much. Cause I never really was that physical. Like I didn't, Jump super high or hit crazy hard, like in the OVA, that sort of thing. I was more based on like hitting shots, that sort of thing. Um, so I was never like super, super popular. I did get followers, which was cool, through volleyball, um, but I never, I never sort of got exposed to sort of any actual fame. It was kind of just a little bit of people knowing who I was, which is kind of nice and sort of motivated me a little bit because like, more people are watching than just like my parents and family.
1: And how did you like to approach like goal setting as far as making these teams? Cause obviously your club team is very competitive, but for you to be an underager, say it like a, a Canada summer games or a youth national team, was that confirmation that you were like able to play at that level? Or were those goals that you, you knew that was something that you set out and that was something you wanted to do with your, your high performance career?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I always wanted to sort of play as high level as I could. So when I tried out for that first uh, Team Ontario team, when it was um, a 16 team two years up, that was sort of like, I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, like, I didn't think I was going to make the first cut, but surprisingly, I did. So that sort of helped reassure me that, like, I could do these sort of things. So then after that summer, that's when I moved to Pac-Man and played two years up. So I think that sort of gave me the confidence to try and do that. Because if I hadn't made that team, I wouldn't know that. I wouldn't have tried out for that, for that Europe team. So I think that was definitely a big step for me for setting goals higher and sort of pushing further. Cause I obviously didn't think I could do that. Like I had played one year up before. So that sort of got me to keep setting goals, to like make these teams because the teams kept getting more competitive and more competitive. So sort of just working to like stay at that level, like to your up level, which really helped me.
1: And I think the the plan of the OVA with that 16U team when they brought it in was to get the core of the of the Canada game squad together and get them training. So at, looking back as a coach, I think that was a simple concept for all of us to understand. But as a player, did you know that that was like the trend? Because I'm trying to think you would have been on the squad, your brother, Cole Grossinger, uh Thomas Soros switched to the beach, but he would have been on that team. Justin Louis, like the, the core was definitely there. But when you're a, a 16U athlete, are you aware of it or is it just kind of a cool experience and you're taking it summer by summer, I guess, at that point?
0: For, for that season, I had absolutely no idea because I was sort of just getting into, like, volleyball, high performance. I, I didn't even know Canada Games was a thing um, <laughs> for that 6-2 team. It was sort of like, oh, Team Ontario, like, that was the, the highest level I knew other than the national team. So I was sort of just trying out for that. And then the next year, the 7-2 team, that's when they sort of talked to us. So that's when I remember them talking to us about Canada Games and so everyone was really sort of into that and it sounded amazing to be a part of that team. So I think that was another another time when I sort of set the goal to be on that team because all not all the coaches, but many of the coaches had been a part of Canada Games in the past. And just the stories they told about it were so amazing and how great it was. So that was definitely something I wanted to do.
1: So with your Canada Games, like we just talked about like you were familiar with guys in your cycle and going to National Team Challenge Cup. I'm sure you would have seen the, the similar players over and over again. But when you actually get to Canada Games, does it feel like a different tournament, even though you might recognize certain guys from BCE, Alberta, Quebec? like Are, are the stakes just yeah. that much higher at, at a big games like Canada Games?
0: Yeah, it's it feels like a completely different tournament. Um, because for the, um, I believe it's the Canada Cup, what Team Ontario goes to in most summers, For that tournament, it's yes, you play against all the provinces, but it's just volleyball. For Canada Games, it's all sports. Like there's hundreds and thousands of athletes that are playing completely different sports. Um, So it's more of it's like a it's a multi um, sport event. So it seems more significant. There's more fans. You play in bigger gyms. So I think that was definitely something really cool about it. You got to meet all these athletes from all these different provinces. Like we met a couple. Players from UConn, that sort of thing. Um, so it's really cool, and you also get you get other sports coming to your game and supporting you. Um, so it definitely feels feels a lot bigger than just your regular Canada Cup. And so I think that was probably
1: the coolest part about it. Awesome, and we did talk about how your club team went to the states a couple times. I'm just curious, from your perspective is the US a different level did you feel like being on a top club from Ontario that you were you were going to be a top team of that tournament like are, is Canada and the US on par you think for what indoor volleyball is doing at the youth level
0: mm-hmm. I would say I would say the top teams from my experience like we went down there when we played the top teams we were on par maybe a little below but we could definitely compete and beat those teams The thing is, when you first go down there, you're sort of taken aback because, especially in California, there's um, like the number of top teams is much higher because they have so many people. So I'd say the top level is just as good and around the same. But just the fact that they have so many teams, um, you're just not used to that when you first get there. Like, you're not used to playing on your second day, playing all these top 10 teams who are, if they went to Ontario, they'd also be like top five, top three.
1: Nice, nice. And for you to win uh, an 18 u national championship, was that something that your team liked to talk about? Like with Coach Jesse, is that something that we're writing on the whiteboard at the start of the season? Or how did you guys like to think about goal setting? Because I think it's it's fascinating with your age group. It's one thing to be labeled as like a top team, but you still got to deliver and perform. And I think you guys managed that very well over the season.
0: Yeah, with, um, with my packer teams, that's sort of the thing we first say, like when we first get in the gym almost – we discuss what our goal is for the season and everyone right off the bat is like national championship thinking about national championship because in 18U that's sort of the only goal there really is like that's the top thing you can achieve. So at least, especially for the last season I played, as soon as, as soon as we got in the gym, we wrote literally on the whiteboard we want to win a national championship. So I think that was, that was definitely um, something that really helped us sort of pursue that goal.
1: And how do you find staying connected to that goal? Cause I think in grade 12 of a high school, there's so much stuff going on with applying to universities or colleges and, and club volleyball. I'm sure you practice probably what three times a week, but it's not like it's a daily task, yeah. right? So how are you staying connected? And to me, the OVA season, it's pretty long, right? So what are you doing a yeah. Tuesday night in February to make sure that you're going to win national championships in May? Like how as a young athlete, did you stay focused and connected to that?
0: For me personally, uh, I think we practice, yeah, we practice three times a week, and then on the weekend, um, we also had a practice available to us. For me, one of the big things was just like strength training, like lifting weights. Eventually, for me, that just became like practice because you can't obviously practice volleyball every day if you don't have access to a gym every day. So I just found that as another way to um, sort of keep like developing, keep working on uh, volleyball. Uh, and then also like, playing other sports just to stay in shape and that sort of thing. But for a team, like, pursuing that goal, I think just it's about working on basics but keeping that goal in mind. Like, we weren't every day thinking national championship, national championship. Like, we got to work on our gameplay. It was sort of just having the goal of always being better, even in just, like, a regular, like, one-day practice um, and not sort of slacking off.
1: And one thing that comes with the 17 U and 18-year years at Club Volleyball is just the extra distraction of recruiting. So with somebody like you who's probably going to get a lot of attention, were you aware when somebody's wearing a certain jacket and they're around courtside, or did you try to block that stuff out? Like if you were emailing either Coach Sparrow or Coach Hawks at UCLA, did you know when they were standing by your court, or how did you kind of go through that process?
0: Um, it was an interesting process because you sort of talk to these different teams and then you'll like see them in person – I think with recruiting with like my coaches now, like UCLA, that sort of thing, like NCAA schools, I would know if they were going to be around the court um, because I'd have talked to them. And especially if it was a Canadian tournament, it's tough to come out. So they would like let me know that they're coming out. Um, So I was sort of prepared for that. I definitely notice like the jackets around the court, but it's you try to sort of keep it out of your mind. You don't want to be like, oh, what do they think? You kind of just want to focus on um, just playing your game because I've had instances where you sort of get in your head about who's watching, and then it just makes the situation way worse.
1: Were you considering U Sports as well? Like were any Canadian schools on your list of of who you wanted to visit and talk to, or as soon as you got exposed to like the NCAA, you knew that was the level you wanted to play at?
0: At the end, like in my grade 12 year, I was sort of on the fence about U Sport or NCAA actually. I didn't really decide which way I wanted to go until I think it was a couple months into my grade 12 year, Um, because I really liked the prospect of staying in Canada. Obviously, it's like my home, that sort of thing. But then when I finally made my decision, I was kind of like, I want to have an experience. I want to obviously go to California and get away from the winter. So once I decided then, once I decided around, let's say, November, December, that's when I sort of actually decided I was gonna go ncaa uh versus uh U sport. It was kind of just at the last minute.
1: Nice, yeah because that's one thing that came up a lot around the Can Am was uh I think men's volleyball would be the sport that we're we're on par with with uh, the NCAA and we could argue so we're blue yeah. in the face about other sports, but I think men's volleyball Canada does really well to compete with the NCAA. So you mentioned that obviously the, the warm weather of California attracted you there. Was that the biggest influence or or what did you choose to study and what else went into your decision to go to UCLA?
0: I wouldn't call that the biggest influence. It's obviously something really nice that I definitely enjoy every day, not having to bundle up and wear a massive winter coat. It's something really nice. But I'd say I'd say everything went into that decision. For me, I just thought UCLA was a school where I want to be, like, from all points of view, like academics, they're a tremendous school academically. Volleyball, obviously, they're a great volleyball school school, especially historically, and John Sprout is a coach who's U.S. national team coach doesn't really get much better than that. And then, yeah, being in California, um, sort of experiencing a different environment was something I really wanted to try out. So it was sort of everything that sort of combined to make me want to go there.
1: Yeah. Give us the, the behind the scenes of UCLA. So I counted this morning, there's 22 guys on the roster. Are there practice players as well? Because one thing that Al Skates was famous for was a practice. There was multiple courts going. Has John Spraw kept that going or has he kind of done his own thing or what are you doing with 22 guys on the roster and maybe a a couple more, right?
0: Yeah, we, I think it was, I think we had 24 at the start. And then I think last year they might've had like 25 or something. I don't know. But yeah, we have a lot of guys on the roster a lot of guys, especially with um, sort of incoming players, tend to redshirt. So they don't, they don't play in games, um, but it gives them an extra year of eligibility. So that's something that um, helps us a lot. And then we're able to sort of keep guys for an extra year um, because in NCAA you're only allowed to stay for four years um, competing as opposed to five years in youth sport. So we do redshirt a couple guys. And then there's no one who's a practice player. It just depends on who travels. So one game, like typically 15 guys travel. Um, so if someone's performing really well in practice one day, then they might they might travel to the next game or so on. So it all really depends on how you perform. No one's really sort of, you're only practicing for the team. Um, everyone has a shot at playing, which is nice.
1: And was redshirting ever a conversation with you or or how formal did you find out that you were going to get a roster spot as a first year?
0: It was sort of a thought of redshirting. Like, obviously, it's a big thing and it's a great tool to utilize. For me, I didn't really see myself redshirting. You know, NCAA. I want to sort of go for four years, get my degree. Um, I would have been open to it if they had um, like proposed it to me. I would have definitely sort of thought it was a good idea. But um, for me, they weren't sort of trying to enforce redshirting, which I was happy about. I wanted to sort of play as soon as possible, so it wasn't really. A big conversation it was sort of just oh yeah you're probably not going to redshirt this year um it's not sort. it wasn't sort of a formal conversation
1: and one thing when we had uh danon or, or kofi however you want to refer to him on the show he talked about the way Spira is running practice right now it's almost like a class that's like a race to see who can learn the, the most the fastest right so you coming in as a first year was that the same impression you had or what did practices feel like when you finally got with the squad and you're in the gym with everybody
0: yeah, when I it definitely feels like a classroom. Um, I'd say it's more competitive though because you can definitely sort of feel the competitive cuz there's so many players competing for certain spots especially before a season starts. So he's teaching, he's teaching all these different skills and sort of everyone's trying to develop as fast as possible and everyone's trying to be the best they can because once season comes then like spots are the spots are open so everyone wants to get on the court. Um So, I'd say it's like a classroom we we focus on skills every day and focus on learning different skills and improving skills, but it's also a lot about like competing and sort of going at each other, especially at the end of practice when we get into uh, six on six and sort of wash drill variations. Um, everyone's sort of trying to beat the other team
1: and with you already playing at such a high level with what you had accomplished back home what were some things that you felt like you had to relearn? Like, are they big on your footwork or what you do after you pass or you're attacking? Like how much of this got kind of reworked and retooled for, for what John Sparrow wanted out of you?
0: Definitely, definitely a lot. Um, I think my three big things were blocking. We focused a lot on sort of blocking footwork and also while you're in the air Um, because I never really shaped the block much. I sort of went up and just took space Whereas now, NCAA high level, you have to actually sort of attack the ball and try and like intentionally block them um, because there's just great attackers out there who can see where you are and score unless you make a move. The other thing I'd say is hitting. I definitely worked a lot on my hitting technique for uh, attacking and for jump serving. That was, I'd say, the big, that was probably the biggest technical focus for me because I my hand, my wrist went a certain way and I wouldn't get enough power through. So I worked on that probably the most, um, with coach Spraw, and then, um, passing would be the next thing. Um, because there's such a technical focus, um, because with NCAA and with the, the molten, it's a different ball. And so everyone is spin serving. Everyone's sort of hitting the ball as hard as they can. Um, so there's a huge technical focus because, Whereas in club, it's you can sort of get away with bad technique. It's a lot, definitely a lot tougher when the ball's coming 120
1: kilometers an hour. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, let's take a, a deeper dive into the, some of those. So, with you blocking at the net, first of all, are you using similar footwork every time? Does UCLA like to do several types of footwork? Like, what's your eye work? Like, what were some of the little tricks that you picked up on that that really helped you? And and kind of just describe shaping the block, what that means in the UCLA gym as well.
0: For sure. For footwork, it's pretty similar. One of the differences with my Pacman team is that with Pacman, we have different sort of sets of footwork, but with um, usually they just want us to swing block all the time, sort of get as high as you can all the time. And then with shaping, it's sort of when you don't shape, you just go straight up, you press over the net, and you take away space, um, whereas with shaping, you'll reach outside of your body. So if you go up and there's line and you see that they're going to hit line, you'll reach outside your body um, and try and sort of get around the ball to bring it back in the court. So it just it involves a lot more vision, sort of trying to read the hitter and actually going outside of your body post is sort of staying in your your, your box or your rectangle, which is what you hear a lot in club. Um, so that was definitely something that was hard for me to relearn because I had focused so much on just sort of staying square and pressing. But once you sort of learn it, get used to it, it definitely helps a lot because you can now block balls that before would just go right past you.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And what's your eye work in this blocking sequence? Are you a guy who wants to go like ball setter, ball hitter? Are you looking at the setter for a long time? Like what are some details that you pick up? Because I believe you played a little bit of left side and right side this year. So you're on both wings, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I played a lot, a lot more right side this year uh, than I had in the past. Um, but in club, I had sort of done both, so um, the footwork wasn't too new. Um, I'd say for the eye sequencing, it's very similar. Ball setter, ball hitter. You definitely have to watch the hitter a lot more because there's a lot of cases where if you if you watch the ball too long, and the guy will just go right by you. So it's definitely uh, a higher focus on the hitter and actually sort of reading what they're doing because then you can get in better position. You can get in front of them, and it definitely helps.
1: At the Can-Am, you got to play a little bit of left side, so I'm wondering if you went through hitting the pipe, because one thing that I, I think John Spraw is, should get a lot of credit for, whether it was with his UCI team, USA, or what he's doing at UCLA, is the the, the BIC is laser fast coming out of the back row. So with you being a first-year, was that a learning curve? Because I know you hit the, the BIC with Pac-Man and with Team Ontario, but is it that much faster with UCLA? It was, it was definitely faster. One thing that definitely helped me was
0: in my last-year club, it was my twin who was setting me, and so we had – um, we had worked a lot on, like, running the BIC and that connection. So I was used to doing it decently fast, but definitely when I went to, you um, say, they ran it faster. It wasn't it wasn't too tough for the BIC as opposed to sort of, like, outside, right side, that sort of thing. I think the BIC is probably the area I was most confident in, hitting-wise. And it was nice to get that sort of extra speed in there. It's more fun to hit it, that sort of thing. But definitely the BIC was something that we worked a lot on, especially in preseason. Um, I think every every practice we get um, outsides hitting BICs because it's sort of a huge focus, especially in like NCAA offenses. Um, if you can run the BIC, then you're at an advantage against any other team.
1: Now is the setting so good that like everybody's hitting a different speed BIC or are all the outside hitters kind of responsible to be in a spot because that's where the setter's going to it? Like how, how detailed is this with all the different outside hitters and setters you have?
0: It's more, it's more the, the hitter's job to get in the right spot. Obviously for different guys, like if you're hitting left side and you have me or if you have Kofi, it's a very, very different set. But typically for the BIC, it's around the similar set. The only time it, differs is with guys if they're hitting at higher points um then they'll set the ball a little higher Um, but they always try to keep the same speed um instead of sort of slowing it down which is really good because then it's easier for the setter they don't have to sort of change too much and have to know exactly who's hitting everywhere
1: and you mentioned with your passing technique that you had to be on point just with the the ball change and everybody going with their spin serve. Uh, on the flip side of that, are you given the green light to go for it on your spin serve? Like is that something that's talked about that everybody is like going for broke and, and giving their best ball every time they're back at the line?
0: Mm-hmm. It's um, You sort of have to earn that ability. So in practice, everyone works on their spin serves. And depending on how you're serving in practice, how consistent you are, then you'll be able to be given the green light. Like I believe Tofi had the green light on his spin serve because he could really swing on it and get it in with pace. Whereas some other guys, they were given um, more like an 80%, that sort of thing. Um, so it all really depends on how you're working on it. And it's like everyone's sort of different and Spraw sort of sees how he wants to do it.
1: Now, one thing that was cool about UCL this year is the the amount of travel you guys did, including coming to the Can-A-M. How special was that for you, not only to play in front of family and friends, but to also be across the net from your brothers who played at Ryerson this year?
0: No, that was that was definitely really cool. Um, that was sort of our first tournament tournament of the season because we had played a couple other exhibition games, um, but our season doesn't actually start until January 1st. So that was really cool. We got to come out and play in front of a large crowd. and Definitely playing against Xander was really cool because – while we were playing, we could sort of we could hear the announcers. Um, so every time we'd go up against each other, we'd hear "and brother on brother violence" or something like that. <laughs> um, so that was definitely really funny to, uh, or really fun to, um, to do and to experience.
1: And just looking at your schedule, I think one thing that the NCAA does really well is just like the fan section. So what was it like not only playing at home and being in poly and doing all the cool stuff UCLA has, but going into gyms like BYU or Penn State where there's fans who might be a little bit more rowdy than we see in in Canada sometimes with the heckling and really getting on you. Like, what was that experience like playing at that level where there's there's fans kind of letting you have it and maybe your games are on TV and things are maybe just feel like they're on a bigger scale?
0: Yeah, no, I... I personally really enjoyed it. Like I love, I love having games where there's tons of fans, even if they're, even if they're cheering against you. It still just makes it more of a competitive environment, and it's so much fun to play. And like when we went to, uh, we went to BYU. Apparently this year there weren't as many fans, um, but it's still thousands of fans. They're all yelling, um, and they have fans right behind the service line, sort of heckling you, making little comments. Um, so that. For me, it was actually really cool because I hadn't been heckled that much, and I don't get too too upset about it. Um, so just to sort of experience that kind of like competitive environment was really cool. Especially going to BYU, we had to fly there, and it was sort of like this cool experience.
1: Nice. And what is kind of the the, the mood around the men's volleyball team at UCLA? Because as you mentioned, it's a great volleyball school, but I think they're competitive in every sport they offer, right? So as a team, are you guys checking out football games? Are you going to go watch the women's volleyball team? Like what is like just the the varsity sport experience overall there?
0: I personally love it. Obviously all the the teams are very competitive and that sort of thing. We try to – we get out to watch a lot of volleyball games. Like women's volleyball, their season is in fall – Um, so we go out and watch a lot of those games. Occasionally we'll go to a football game and basketball games also. So we try to get out and see other sports and sort of support other teams, um, which is one of the cool things for sure. A lot of teams do that. And it's sort of like all the athletes are together, um, because our athletic building is shared for almost all sports except for like football and basketball. So everyone's sort of together together. And it's sort of like a nice um, community of athletes.
1: Nice. And we mentioned like redshirting wasn't really something on your mind. Like you knew you wanted to go in and and make an appearance and and contribute right away. So for you starting 12 matches this season, which is very impressive and appearing in 15 as a first year at, at a school like UCLA, how did that come to be? Like you felt like you just worked your tail off in practice Were these conversations you're having with your coach, like how much of a plan was this versus you just putting your head down and working and really earning the spot?
0: it was always sort of a possibility. Like I've had conversations where they're like, yeah, we can see you playing this year, but it was nothing sort of guaranteed. Like it all depends on like how you work in practice, that sort of thing. Um, So for the first, the first two season games, I hadn't played. And then the third game of the season, we were up against Princeton and I got the chance to start and go in. So I think that's a big part because with our team, there's a lot of guys And so there'll be certain guys that play more than others. But when you get the chance to go in, it's a really big opportunity. Like if you perform well, then you'll be thought of more. You'll be put in more. So it's sort of like you have to to prove your spot and you only get so many chances. So I think that was a big thing for me coming in for my first time and playing well.
1: And if you had to describe your team culture, what would it be? And the reason I bring it up when we had a few of the Trinity guys and and Eric Leppi's quote stands out to me where it's competitive, they're focused, they want to win a national championship, but you're not allowed to be a dick about it. And I'm just wondering like having 22 guys on your roster and obviously everybody's committed and trying to earn the spot, how like ruthless is it during practice? And then do you manage the brotherhood stuff uh, off the court? Like, are you guys flipping the switch where it's, Like just win, win, win in practice and then still be, you know, buddy, buddy when when the practice ends?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of guys flip the switch. Obviously, we get very competitive in practice with wanting to get better and wanting to compete with spots. Um, There's definitely a good amount of uh, trash talking and that sort of stuff. And typically, it stays stays on the court. I'd say that that could be something we work on next year. But um, I think the competitive energy we have in practice, even if guys still stay competitive outside the gym. Um, I think it's definitely something that sort of helped our team. So I'd say our our environment this year was just super competitive. Um, Everyone was competing to either get better just to earn their spot.
1: And obviously having Kofi on the team probably helped any Canadian stereotypes coming through, but were there any funny stories you can give us? Because, again, just looking up and down your roster, obviously there, there's you, Kofi, and I believe your setter was from Denmark, but a lot of California guys, was there any running jokes they had about uh, either the internationals or the Canadians on the team?
0: There's definitely a lot of running jokes. Um, a lot of guys enjoyed not necessarily trying to do a Denmark um, accent, but trying to do some sort of European accent. Um, when they talked to uh, Mads, who was um, the setter, that was definitely a big one. And then for for Canadians, they definitely talked about Drake a lot. That's one thing, <laughs> one thing they talked about a lot, because music is definitely big in California, and obviously uh, Kofi's making music, so definitely Drake is one of the big topics. And one of the one of the biggest discussions is Drake versus the Beatles, which kind of an it's an interesting discussion because obviously the Beatles are. So we're so popular and have so many hit songs, so there would definitely be like an argument every once in a while between who's better, like Drake or the Beatles, or who has more hit songs. Um, so that was always that was always fun between the guys on the team.
1: Yeah, are these the type of discussions that happen? Because you mentioned like coming to Can Am and you got to fly to BYU and like your your travel schedule of going out east in the preseason and playing at Princeton. Like, is it just fun being around the guys and just talking about silly stuff every once in a while?
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. One of the really nice things is like you're with the team so much, especially especially in season. We traveled. We obviously had the trip to Can-Am, which we then went and played a couple East Coast teams. Then we went to BYU, Princeton. So there's a lot of traveling, where you're with the team a lot. And then also even just regular weeks, we practice like every day of the week except for weekends. Um, but occasionally even on weekends, and we train like we lift weights all together. Um, so it's really nice just having a team that's always together, always training together. Um, I think it definitely, definitely helps us um, when we have to compete together.
1: And with the, the length of season and when competition starts, how does Coach Spira like to to manage the season? And, and the reason I ask that, because you're reporting to school in the fall, but you don't technically have a game until maybe December would have been your first one, right? So what are you guys doing kind of preseason? And then how does that change when you're when you're in season and you're playing one or two matches a week?
0: It change, the main thing that changes would sort of be um, like practice timing, I'd say, um, because before season, we always sort of practice at the same time, lift at the same time, and it's sort of like a set schedule, whereas in season, we could have a game. Uh, we could have like one game Friday, or we could have a game Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday. So it all depends on sort of how we have games, um, which affects sort of when we practice, but before season and during season, the intensity doesn't really change. Unless it's serve and pass where it's only for an hour and guys don't want to work their brains off. Other than that, every practice is sort of everyone goes all out, whether it's in season or before season or even after season.
1: Awesome. And I was hoping we can get some tips either for our younger listeners or any coaches listening because anyone who got to see you play knows that you got to play both wings, but. You also did some creative stuff and we talked a little bit about the BIC, but your C ball was pretty fast. You got to come around and hit a meter ball in the middle in a couple of rotations. So uh, as a guy who can play both wings and hit a variety of sets, are you big on a footwork? Do you just want to keep the ball in front of you? Are you a big vision guy? Like what are some things that you've kind of acquired that are, are top skills for you that allow you to be such a, a top tier hitter? Like you are,
0: I'd say probably the most important thing is vision, being able to see the block, being able to hit off the block that would be I'd say the best thing you can do in tacking unless you're touching incredibly high over the block. Um, but even then vision being able to see where the block is is a huge huge asset. Besides vision though, um, I' I'd say, I'd say getting in a good position on the ball, which just is just honestly practice and like just continuous reps um so i'd say vision vision and always being able to sort of have the ball slightly in front of you um because that that also in turn helps with vision um i'd say were the two biggest things and then there's all the other stuff like hitting hard but as long as you can sort of see where guys are and even see where guys are defending then
1: that'll help you nice nice yeah thank you for those details um i'm wondering how did you get comfortable working around the block because based on what i've seen Hitting a ball out of bounds has a different emotional response as somebody getting like slammed and the whole gym's going, ooh, and like you might feel a little bit embarrassed or a little bit timid and they might roll or tip the next ball. So with you being so comfortable working around the block and the size of the block you see at the university level, how have you found it comfortable that one, it's okay to get blocked sometimes if you're if you're really hitting the ball hard and trying to hit angles, but two, getting comfortable that you can stay in that mindset and be aggressive still?
0: Yeah. Um, I think it just takes obviously it takes practice like you gotta get used to the fact that you're gonna get blocked a couple times but you just have to sort of think of it not in such a negative way like everyone gets blocked everyone gets roofed every once in a while i think it's just thinking about it as you know it's only one point doesn't really change too much of the game and then just focusing on attacking high and hard because obviously if you hit it two inches out versus if you get absolutely slammed it's uh it's a bit of a difference like the crowd feels it the team feels it but even if it happens, you can't sort of let it shake you because it doesn't change sort of who you are as a player.
1: Nice. And if you had to spotlight Coach John Sparrow, who who's pretty famous in the world of volleyball coaches, there's not too many out there, but I think he's in the top tier. Is there yeah. any story you can tell us or any impression you had on him that th- this explains why he really is at the top of, of his profession and why he's one of the best coaches in the world?
0: Well, I'd say when I first sort of recognized how great he was a coach as a coach was probably when I came on my visit, actually um, in grade twelve. So I got to sort of sit in on a practice, and I see the same stuff throughout the season. It's just the way he sees the game. Like when I when I watch a game of volleyball, I don't notice sort of all these little details. But when he's watching, like say if he's watching someone run the pipe, and if they're like a foot to the left, he'll notice that. Or if he's watching someone block and they don't sort of shape their hands downwards, he'll notice that. So I think it's just the fact that he like, has knows so much about volleyball and he's able to see uh, all these little things. I think that's probably the um, most incredible things I've noticed because I've never really been able to do that and been able to see that as a volleyball player.
1: And how much uh, is the team aware of how hard he works? Because when we had Danon on the show, he mentioned that he thinks he just outworks people and everything's got a plan, even right down to like the mood and energy he brings to the team. I'm wondering, is that maybe a secret that Kofi picked up on because he's a vet and he's seen it? Or is he pretty open with that stuff that even as a first year, you can tell that like, man, every minute of this practice was detailed and boiled down to like the response he wants from everybody?
0: No, it's it's something you sort of pick up on. Um, maybe not the first practice, but after a couple of practices, you notice it because every drill we do is intentional to work on a like a skill we have to work on. Sometimes he gets into these deep talks with the team, and when you're in these deep talks, you just realize like sort of how much he thinks about these issues, how much he uh, goes over it, how much he knows about sort of the game of volleyball, and even outside of volleyball, just how much he knows about life in general. So it's pretty, it's pretty incredible to sort of be a part of um, the team and be able to sort of experience that even though I'm not not—I'm not American, so I'll never be able to sort of see that at the national level, um, <laughs> but it's just cool to have that experience.
1: Is that something that he's joked about with you where he's training you up basically to play against him for Canada someday? Do those conversations ever happen?
0: No, we haven't touched on that. It's um, definitely something I've thought about it, but one of the nice things is he said this before, I can start practicing. He doesn't. Well, he obviously cared, but he doesn't care that you're not American. Like, he doesn't, that doesn't affect like your playing time or how much he develops you um, because his goal is UCLA winning. Um, like, in the summer, it's all about Team USA, but during the season, he's focused on UCLA. So that's definitely something nice and like reassuring to hear being not from America.
1: And, and one thing I've I followed up a few times with NCAA athletes, uh, I wasn't aware of this, but uh, Danon mentioned not from. You know, people really within the program, like Glenn never told him this, but he did hear from maybe some Canadian schools who tried to de-recruit him that if you went to the U.S., your chances of representing Canada went down. Did you ever feel that in your recruiting process, or are you kind of open to representing Canada if we weren't uh, on this pause right now? Would you technically be in Gatineau?
0: If we weren't on this pause, I'd be trying out for the junior team, hopefully. Um, I mean, the the one thing is that school goes longer, so you have to sort of juggle that sort of classes like I'm about to start my finals week um, whereas a lot of Canadian schools finished um, like a month ago at least so that's something you sort of have to work around Um, I had heard that it decreases your chances but then I'd also heard that it doesn't affect your chances sort of in the slightest so it's sort of I don't know there's two there's two different stories but as long as I feel like as long as you want to represent Canada as long as you go to the tryouts and you make the effort to be on the team, I don't think it should affect your uh, chances, or I don't think it does affect your chances, because obviously, Danon's been on many Canadian teams.
1: Yeah, it's good to kind of debunk that rumor. Like I said, I wasn't aware of it, but in thinking of how Danon's already represented our, our senior national team and other guys are getting a chance, it might be just a, a fun trick that Canadian coaches like to play to hopefully keep you guys back home.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, um, I've definitely heard that, but I'm, I'm hoping it's not true at all. <laughs> but we'll see
1: so as you kind of go through your career obviously a a bit of an unknown but if we play out the hypothetical here what would you be looking forward to as going into a second year like is there just stuff you're more comfortable with and maybe you'll take a a bigger leadership role or have more of a voice or is there something you're excited to kind of learn as you compete with the NCAA and then hopefully get back representing Canada soon
0: yeah I'm I'm really looking forward to um, second year actually because obviously with the first year there's sort of like a larger learning curve like You have to learn how the team does certain things. Um, You have to sort of change a lot more of your game. You can't really look on like refining stuff. Um, So I'm actually really looking forward to second year. Hopefully everything goes as planned and we can get back um, in fall. We'll see what happens, but I'm really excited to sort of get back in the gym um, and sort of focus on more stuff and developing as a team because this year we didn't have the greatest record. So coming back, I think a a lot of guys will have more, Experience, like me included. So I'm actually really excited to see what happens, how we play and how everyone comes back after this whole pandemic. Uh,
1: one thing we're kind of learning through the show, just dealing with high performers is just the ability to kind of dial it in when you need to, and then kind of when to shut it off. So with you being a student athlete, you're away from home. Sometimes you're taking like plane trips away. Like what are some things that you like to do to one, ramp it up when it is game day and two, what do you do to kind of balance so you're not just thinking about, like, volleyball, which got it has to get exhausting at a certain amount of time? So what are some things you like to do to kind of flip the switch so you can compete at the highest level? And then what do you do when you're trying to, like, ignore volleyball or not be in super compete mode all the time?
0: For ramping it up, i definitely say one of the biggest things I do is just listen to music. Like, my music completely changes when it's, like, right before a game versus if I'm just hanging out. Um, right before a game, I definitely listen to more hardcore heavy music, like heavy rap, heavy metal, that sort of thing. Um just sort of to get myself in like that mindset. And then for winding down honestly, I once sort of the game's over and once it's sort of out of my mind, I don't have too much trouble winding down. That's I'd say one of the nice things. Like I'm obviously very competitive like when it comes to volleyball or when it comes to like sort of like a a game that matters like if it was like high school basketball or something like that. I'd be very competitive. But when it's sort of not that environment, when it's sort of more for fun, I find that I'm able to just sort of hang out, have a good time, be happy to sort of just play and be there. So for winding down, honestly, it's sort of not that big an issue. It's just the only thing I have to focus on is ramping up for games, which yeah, which is kind of nice. I can just sort of I can be very chilled and laid back when I'm not um,
1: in that game mode. Nice, and last question before we get started here. Will we ever see you on the beach again, or is indoor where you feel like you're going to represent Canada the uh, most upcoming, I should say? Mm-hmm.
0: I think I think indoor is the path I've chosen. That's what I want to do. I was actually really hoping this summer that there might be some beach that I'd be able to do, because like, I love playing beach. It's so much fun, and um, I've done so much of it. I don't know if I'll ever sort of compete on the beach, but I'm hoping to play in some tournaments, you know, some... Some OVA stuff, some sort of local stuff that's not, uh, not crazy competitive.
1: Nice, nice. Well, I encourage you to keep that door open just in case for my own benefit. But uh, if not, easy guy to root for on the indoor side. Thanks for sharing all the details you did and for taking the time.
0: Sure. Thank you.